I'm not going to get on this bike. It is not my bike, but it's one that the children have been learning on. Some of you will be familiar and maybe even remember that these parts on the back are called the stabilizers. Some people call them training wheels. The stabilizers will, will help the children to uh, find their balance, to gain confidence, and to get going on the bike. And then at some point, these will come off as they go it alone. At that point, cue tears and falls and failures for a bit anyway. As they make their way and go it alone on the bike, they leave the stabilizers behind. They have them until they learn to go it alone. Many of us here this morning will know from painful reminders in life that we are not designed to go it alone in life. The things that we're facing, perhaps even currently, just edging into our minds all the time, in our hearts just now, if we could see the thought bubbles above the room, what would be there? Not just lunch, but other things that we are facing and that we know that uh, we are not up to facing. We are not designed to go it alone. We need stabilizers. Many things in life will make us feel unstable just now. This psalm that we're about to look at is set in real life. And in real life today, uncertainty abounds. Cost of living, the war in Ukraine, and then the personal things that are unique to our own situations and circumstances. And many things in life seem to offer us stability. We're hearing from two politicians, particularly just now, about what they will do to bring stability to the country. And other politicians saying how they will fail and how they've got better ideas to bring stability to the country. We will be tempted to look to many things, perhaps, in life, thinking they will provide stability for us today this week. We may even look to ourselves and think that we will be enough. Our strength, our wit, our cleverness. We have this independent streak that we believe sometimes we can go it alone. Psalm 102 is here to show us where we can find lasting stability. We're going to look at it uh, in three parts. It divides into three parts that uh, seem very, very different, uh, are very, very different, but are connected by this theme of stability. And we're going to look at the psalm under three sort of short headings, but try to feel what is being described in these verses. Verses 1 to 11 is the first section. It's all about distress. 
That's our first heading if you want to take notes. Distress, or we could say troubles. In verses 1 to 2, we meet a believer in distress, crying out, Hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. This believer is in distress, but crying out to the Lord, it says here in this verse, with capital letters, which means in the original, it's talking about Yahweh, the God of the Bible. In Genesis, the God who created all things, and in Exodus, who we meet as the rescuing God. But then what comes out in verses 3 to 11 is a description of suffering, and few of us can have faced suffering like this. Verses 3 to 11 give us a feel for his awful situation. In verses 3 and 11, which sort of frame the section, we get a sense of time running out. My days vanish like smoke. My days are like the evening shadow. In verses 4 and 5, we sense his weakness. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. He cannot eat. I forget to eat my food. A sense of being overwhelmed and wasting away. In verse 7, we sense that he is sleepless and alone. In verse 8, there is talk of enemies. He is facing opposition, taunted by his enemies as they see his state. Verse 9. A state of sorrow. I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears. And what does the believer identify as the source of his distress? Well, surprisingly and strikingly, look at verse 10. Because of your great wrath, for you have taken me up and thrown me aside. This is striking because there's no mention of sin from the lips of this believer. But he feels under God's wrath. It is also striking because rather than drive him away from God, this understanding drives him to God. He, in his distress, is still praying and asking for the Lord's mercy and help. Now, in times of distress, it seems so obvious and yet so hard sometimes to settle and focus and pray. Perhaps our circumstances are so unrelenting. Perhaps we are despairing or feeling overwhelmed. Perhaps we spend time feeling self-pity or even anger at our circumstances. Perhaps it's that independent streak that I can go it alone. What is it about the driver, some drivers of cars that when they are clearly lost and the best thing to do would seem to be to stop and ask someone for help and directions. You know who you are. I can see you looking around. We don't 
It would be the last thing we will do. We will figure it out. We'll work it out. We'll get there. But here in distress, this believer is calling out for help. His is an example to those of us in distress in real life just now. It's an encouragement that our distress would push us back, you and I, to God in prayer. The rest of the New Testament helps us to understand that, that God is not turned away from his children. That, that, that for those who are trusting in Jesus, through faith in Jesus, we know Yahweh, the Lord, as our loving Heavenly Father. And he's always listening, always facing, always turned towards his children. But it's his children who tend to turn away from him as they try to go it alone and seek stability from other things. Psalm 102 here is, is, is to encourage us to turn back to him, our heavenly father, in prayer. And, and we do that by just taking the words of Psalm 102 on our lips by reading them. and then trying to use them to help us to pray. We will find it hard to pray without the focus of God's word. And here God's word gives us prayers for believers to pray in distress. We're on to our second section in verses 12 to 23. And here we see confidence in distress. We feel his confidence. It has a different tone. So in verse 17, he says confidently of God, he will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. What brings him confidence? Well, look at verse, verses 11 and 12 and just listen to the contrast. He see, thinks of himself. My days are like the evening shadow. I wither away like grass. Verse 12. But you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. What encourages him is to think of God enthroned forever. And what is he confident of? Well, verse 13, he's confident that the Lord will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to show favor to her, and the appointed time has come. He's confident of God's character, his compassion, and his favor, that God's faithfulness is unfailing, and that God will act at the appointed time. And what will he do? Verse 16, for the Lord will rebuild Zion and appear in his glory. At this point, he understands God's promises and commitment to his people. And the big picture is now in view rather than just focusing on himself and his distress. And he wants others to know that this is true of God. 
Verse 18, let this be written for future generations that a people not yet created may praise the Lord. And verse 21, what will God do? He's confident that God will, verse 21, he will make a place where his people will praise him. Verse 22, when the peoples and the kingdoms will assemble to worship the Lord, he's confident that God will act to give his people a future. So to the people who read this, he's saying, don't judge God by the circumstances that you feel so strongly. But know that this is not the end. God will give his people a future. The tone of this section is all confidence in his God. We've been having the children learn, try, try, try to learn to swim. Learn to swim. There's been a little success. There's been some failings as well. But as watching the teachers and what they do, they try to get them to learn to float on their back. Now, please don't try this. I'm just walking you through the theory. Do not try this on my say-so. But it is very evident when you watch someone learning to try to do this. And particularly if you are sitting from the position of being someone who knows how the water can support your weight if you just do this and lie back with confidence. But as your child tries to learn this, lying on their back, you know what they are going to do, and you know what the effect will have. As they start to wrestle around, and all their wrestling just leads to them, because it is a little bit funny if you're there and ready to grab them, just leads to them sinking as they wrestle. But wonderful as you see their confidence in the water growing so that they can hold this starfish position for 10, 15 seconds. That that confidence comes. And as the psalmist in these verses shifts his focus from the distress to what his God is like, He is confident that the Lord is a God who rescues those in deepest trouble. Verse 17, he will respond to the prayer of the destitute. It's a strange thing, but but the very act of being in distress himself seems to grow his confidence that God will do something that God will act. His confidence comes as his focus shifts from his distress to the Lord. In the New Testament, we have that wonderful picture of Peter seeing Jesus walking on the waves and wanting to step out to Jesus. And for a moment, it's recorded that he walked towards Jesus. But then what happened? His shift, his focus shifted from Jesus to the waves. And in fear, he started to sink. Reading and praying these words in Psalm 102 will shift our focus onto the Lord. 
And with the whole Bible in view, we know that he has already acted and is working out his purposes to save a people who will be his forever. But in the present, it feels like we're thrashing around and struggling to be still and trust him with confidence. But Psalm 102 is helping us to see that we can be confident that he is enthroned, that he is compassionate, that he is faithful, and that he does not abandon any of his children. The psalmist, he has confidence in distress. We're on to our last section, verses 23 to 28. And the heading for this section is lasting stability. We're going to see in this last section how in real life today we can have lasting stability. I just want to flag up that it can be broken into a couple of different ways. Verses 23 and 24 can be taken as one part and then 25 to 28 as a second part but we're going to start by just reading these verses through. So verse 23, follow with me. In the course of my life, he broke my strength. He cut short my days. Can you feel the change again? It's feeling more like the first section. So I said, do not take me away, my God, in the midst of my days. Your years go on through all generations. In the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be discarded, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. The children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. It seems in this last section that in the moment of deepest despair, the writer's vision clears and he sees the big picture of what God is like and doing. He sees that God oversees the world he made. Verse 25. He sees that God rules for eternity. He sees in verse 27 that God is unchanging, that he will remain forever, that God is completely stable. He sees that the most permanent thing that we think we see in front of us today, the world, will be rolled up and taken away and changed by the one who made it all. And we see in verse 28 that God's people, his servants, will be taken into his presence. The psalm that started in distress and tears finishes with the greatest of assurances about the future for God's people. An assurance, a picture, a promise of 
lasting stability. And I think we can see even more clearly who this is given to and who will enjoy this stability with the help of Hebrews chapter 1, which was our second reading. Keep your finger in Psalm 102, but flick forward to Hebrews chapter 1. Because the writer for the Hebrews in chapter 1, he takes the end of Psalm 102 and he uses it in Hebrews chapter 1. So Hebrews chapter 1, page 1201. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. And these words are words that the writer to the Hebrews say are addressed to Jesus. These words, verse 10. He says about Jesus, the Son of God, in the beginning, Lord You laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. In Hebrews chapter 1, the writer is drawing a distinction between who Jesus is Versus angels, things that God said to Jesus, but never said to angels. And verses 10 to 12 are talking, are telling us the words of God to Jesus the Son, describing him as being divine, as being, verse 10, the creator, as being, verse 11, And 12, the finisher, the wrapper-upper, the one who will return and draw all things to a close, but also the one, verse 12, who will remain after these things have passed. The one who is the Savior that we all need. And the one whose servants will remain with him. Come back to Psalm 102. You see, understanding with the help of Hebrews 1 that these words at the end of Psalm 102 are being spoken from God the Father to God the Son. Help us see that Psalm 102 is all about Jesus. As you read through this by yourself, you can see it through his eyes, praying to the Father in the first part and hearing the Father speak back to him at the end. Let's just quickly go through the sections, the headings, briefly and see how this fits. How it fits with what the New Testament tells us about Jesus' life. So in the first section in distress, 
We're told about Jesus being fully human. He knows what it's like to suffer, to live in our world, to feel weakness, opposition, loneliness, anguish, vulnerability, to feel our frailty as a man. Jesus is the one who suffered and endured God's wrath, who was forsaken. He was sinless, but he endured God's wrath for the sins of his people. See, in the second section, how he remained confident in distress, how he knew God's eternal plan fully, how he knew all about God's plan of salvation to act at an appointed time through sending his son to suffer and die so that our future could be secured. A people who will worship him forever. And then come to the last section and see how it talks about lasting stability, how it starts with the one whose days would be cut short in verses 23 and 24. The one whose days would be cut short, but who would remain forever. He is the one this psalm is about. Who will enjoy stability? Verse 28 tells us. The children of your servants will live in your presence. Their descendants will be established before you. So stability belongs to servants of Jesus this morning. Stability is not about what we have. It's not about health and beauty and money in the bank. It's not about job security or assets. It feels like it is. But these things are not lasting. They do not give us stability forever. Qualifications, achievements, ability, acceptance, status. All things that people think provide stability. Possessions. Things that we have that just make us feel life is good because I've got this. Stability is not about what we have, but who has us. Servants of Jesus belong to him and will remain with him. He alone gives us stability that will never end. If you're here this morning and feeling that you're not designed to go it alone, let Psalm 102 turn you back to Jesus in thanks and in praise. Let me pray. Father, we know this morning that we constantly need to repent, that this streak of independence is strong in all of us, that we think we can go it alone, that life 
in life and through painful reminders, we know that we can't. Help us, please, to repent of looking to other things that we think will offer us stability, things that we think will get us through. Help us to turn away from these things and with the words of this psalm, help us to pray again, to know that stability is ours if we belong to Christ and to thank him and praise him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.